years, uh, yeah. years, yes. <laughs> so I'm gonna introduce you a little bit. You know, those who know Michael Gray was is is who I call the boy wonder. He doesn't age. He knows that. I've always you've been too kind, Lenny. Once He's again. got that same hair I met thirty, <laughs> almost a little less than thirty years ago. But I will say how I do get to know him. This is the key for everybody to understand. Bill Brewster, young Bill Brewster, worked at DMC in New York City before this man came to New York to introduce himself to everybody, and actually Miami. Bill Brewster says to me, I got this, this duo of guys, Michael Gray and John Pern, and named Hustlers Convention, Full Intention, and I need you to play this record and work this record for me. He gives one to me, and, and at the time, Freddie Turner, who Michael Gray remixed, uh, Stop Playing With My Mind, Barbara Tucker, the producer, was with me. He got a record as well. He was writing for a magazine, and I remember going, who the hell's full intention? Just like that. I'm like, it's really super cool, but this is pre to them. They were doing a bunch of DMC stuff, and Bill Brewster said to me, Len, mate, I need you to work their records. You know, the guys in England telling me to work it. And, you know, they're really good. And I heard when I got home, so I put it on my 1200 turntable, no MP3, vinyl, put it down. It was, uh, I love America. <laughs> I love him. I said, he did Patrick Juve? How, how cheeky. Yeah. I said, this is slamming. I said, <laughs> Rest assured, I don't remember exactly what year, if it was 93, 94, I don't remember exactly, but that was my first introduction. Later on, I meet him up in Miami, him and his partner at the time, John Pern, as known, AKA, Full Intention. We hang out, everything's cool. When new producers and remixers meet, it's kind of like the dating game. We're a little standoffish, we're like, you know, it's kind of like we say in a joking way, we're sizing, like, bouting game rate to do a boxing match. Hey, how you doing? Good. But keeping keeping it close to the chest, which is all good. As the years went on, and the jokes went on, and the drinks, and the laughs, and working together in the same industry, we've yeah. all become a family. Yeah, But in absolutely. the beginning, we started out as competitive, loving in a sense where we all wanted to be champions at what we do, but we also had major respect for everybody. So yeah. that's why I asked you to get one of my friends. I, I, he was supposed to do this last week and I must apologize to him. I had a trifecta going on. I had Wi-Fi issues. I had computer issues. I had everything going wrong. And he, okay. he sends me a message and he says, are we still on? I'm like, no, can we do it the following week? And I'm glad we did. We did some great artwork. He, he provided us and we promoted the show and we were so happy to have him on. I would like to introduce to you one of the best people I know out of the UK, one of the most best fathers I know as a father, one of the greatest remixers to come from our generation and production, one half of the production of Full Intention, no less than the other, AKA Michael Gray, one half full intention. Welcome to True House Stories. Thank oh, you for doing this for us. Build up. Thank you, Lenny. <laughs> Checks in the post. <laughs> Ash. <laughs> so, as I was telling the people that were are starting to tune in and everything, um, biggest thing for me is the beginnings of the humble beginnings. 
we know you were born with the mom and dad. We get that part. But we want to know, young lad, to the point of first disco. Now, lately I noticed, like all of us, we've been all going down memory lane. Because of social media and throwback Thursdays, we put these old pictures up of us in the discos playing when we should not have been there. Because I'm one of them. I always say I was too young, but thank God I was there. Yeah. Yeah. And I want, I want the people that don't, you know, they don't read. See, okay. So let's put it like this. People who can't read, can you sum up in your own words where it sits from mom's house to the point where the record started, you know, from where you picked up the art of DJing? Who gave you that first break? Uh, well, I was, I was really, really into music from, I don't know, as long as I can remember, four, five, crazy about it. My sister's, I had four elder sisters, all had amazing record collections and I was always feeding off their tunes. Um, and then when I got to about 10, uh, my sister brought home uh, this new guy, this new boyfriend, and he happened to be a DJ. And of course, when I saw his turn, you know, these two turntables that sort of would open up and there was two and there was a mixer in between. And this was, we're looking at about 1977, 78. I was like, wow. Okay, so what was playing on the radio at that time? Because I know you were Oh, we would have had uh, Edwin Starr, Contact, uh, Chic. Uh, no, early Chic, very early uh, Chic. Um, dance, Edwin dance, Star. dance, yowza, yowza, yowza around that yeah, time. Yeah, Gary's Gang, Keep On Does, all that sort of stuff. So I would start to buy that stuff, 12-inch um, singles. And then I um, started doing a, an under-18s night at our local church hall when I was 12. Uh, and I did that for two years. My dad was good enough to organize the whole thing. I bought loads of equipment. Um, and we just... Oh, you had a nice dad. Yeah. And well, I, <laughs> he, he'd loan me the money. Um, and then I'd oh, have to with pay interest? him the book. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'd have to pay No interest, though, luckily. So then I'd have to pay him back. Um, but the money we made from each disco was, you know, just, just paid it all back. It was fantastic. We had 120 kids every month without fail. We sold the tickets at the end of the of that night for the next one. We held ten back for people on holiday, and that was it. And it just built, and it was uh, a fantastic experience, especially starting to understand soul, disco, and stuff like that. And then after that, I, I started working in a, what we call a fun pub, like a bar with music. And on a Tuesday night, we'd have about 200, 250 people every. Tuesday. Where exactly was that? That was just around the corner from where I live now, which is in um, was near was South London for people around the world. But this is in South London, let's say. Is that, that. the Crystal Palace area? Oh, even even further south. We're going towards Surrey, but that's okay. Uh, so let yeah. me stop you and pause you, everyone. I have friends that live in inner London. Now check this out. This is like living in New York City. Now, when you mention this, it's like someone saying they live way out in Long Island. Like I no further in Long Island, and they would always say to me us inner London people, those are friends that we don't go to see. <laughs> They're just too <laughs> just Londoners are very cocky about, they need to stay right in, in the inner in the sanction, but he's out in the suburbs doing a big party. Yeah, so go ahead. I'm sorry about yeah, that. Towards the countryside. So it's kind of, kind of a little bit more that, but I've got the best of both 17 miles, 17, one, seven miles. And I'm in the center of London, which is easy. Like today I was fabulous. Um, yeah. So from then I started working, I was 18. I got, I went for an audition at a place called the park in Kensington in London. And I got that. And I also got another 
two gigs out of that as well at the same time for a place in Luton. So at the age of 18, I was doing three to four nights a week DJing. And um, I think I got about to 19, joined DMC, Disco Mits Club, where I started doing remixes and mega mixes for them. That's where I started learning my craft. Um, and then around about that time, John joined me. Who was, who was the, um, the owner of DMC again? What's his name? Tony Prince. That's right. And was that, was he kind of godfathering you through this? Who was your godfather there? That oh, was well, there's quite a few people. I mean, you know, uh, people who, who, who I was always going to get information from was Les Adams, Paul Decane, Alan Coulthard. And then I'd be looking up to legends such as, as well as them, obviously, uh, such as Ben Liebrand and people like that who were just doing amazing records and remixes. Ben Liebrand, good yeah. friend of ours. Hey, yeah. Ben, he's out there. He's in there too. He's watching. Oh, me. yeah. Okay. Ben's a lovely fella. Yeah. So, um, and it, it's, it's fantastic. It was just, just a fantastic journey. And that was my in of understanding how to record 24 track and doing the lot myself. I don't, I don't like sitting in the studio and someone else pressing the buttons. I have to do it myself. So that's why I, I make sure I learn everything as I possibly can. But at the same time, John, John Pern, he joined me about that time. He started uh, doing the lights at a local club that I was working at. And uh, well, he was I heard he was very good at, yeah, and he's a light man. Yeah. And uh, then I, I heard he was very good on the keys and I was very basic. And uh, he came along and um, started to put a bit more musicality into my, my productions and remixes. And we kind of went from there. After that, we had a first pseudonym called Greed, then Hustlers Convention, which you've mentioned, and then that turned into Full Intention. And that's, uh, yeah. <laughs> and, with, and with all everyone, with good intention. With good intention. <laughs> I actually get the name from Serious Intention. A, a, do you remember Serious Intention on the Easy Street? Uh, that's one of my best friends, Anthony Malloy. Oh, right. Well, I love his stuff. And the intention I just loved. And I thought, okay, then I put Full with the intention. So that's how Good it intention. Comes. It was a good call. Yeah. And, and just throwing in this, throwing this on this uh, line, I, I, funny enough, I've remixed Serious Intention, you don't know. So yeah, I saw that. I saw some yeah. advert about it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Michael Gusick, my attorney's label. <laughs> ah, yes, yes. He's been yeah. my attorney forever and ever. <laughs> yes. Yeah. He did yeah. all my deals. He's a great guy. That's why I know, I know, God, I know, that whole lot is all of us as friends. So yeah. when you mention the names, to give you a quick one on Anthony Malloy, Anthony Malloy was part of the group Visual, The Music's Got Me, Boy Jarvis. He's in the band. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Full in, so Kenny Carpenter and Anthony Malloy, and these are all the New York crew. That's how I know all of them from the- To be honest, Lenny, I, I don't think there's anyone you don't know. I think- Jesus you know Christ. No, everybody. I don't. Well- I reckon you do. <laughs> I don't know if I know everybody. I like to, actually, I was asked if I could get Philip oh, Bailey well, on the show. I don't know, Philip. I'm going to try to find a person to help me get Philip Bailey. We'll see about Earth, Wind, and Fire. One of my great, yeah, Meyer. So you get down with this. You mentioned let's let's go forward. So you just mix. You don't know. Um, you don't know Paul Simpson production. How did that come about? What was the idea? Who did what? Did you go to Michael uh, Gusick for it, or what did you wind up doing for the remix? Well, about two months ago, um, Easy Street started to follow me on. Instagram and so I followed back and I just put a little message says hi I'd love your stuff and kind of you know that's it and then immediately Mike from Easy Street got back to me and said would you like to choose any record you want to remix I was like uh, absolutely and so he gave me the list 
and I just picked out two, which are uh, my favorite. There's loads on there, but one was uh, obviously You Don't Know, Serious Intention. The other one was World Premiere, Share the Night. Oh, wow. Early one. I didn't realize that was his very first release. So he was like, yeah, we're having that. So that's actually coming out first. That's um, promo. I think it's promo in this week. And that's out in a couple of weeks. So, yeah. But unfortunately, he didn't have the parts. So we had to, um, he put it Be through. Crafty. So, this, so what happens? Well, that's yeah. what I was going to ask you now. So what happens when you are now taking a track like that with no parts? What did you wind up thinking? What was the thought process and the machinery to go into that, to doing a remix like that? Yeah, well, Mike, Mike, he actually gave me the parts where they went through this gadget through the RX, called the RX-7, which strips out different levels. So it will strip out the drums, it will strip out just the music and the vocals. Um, on their own, they sound quite ropey. But when you put them all together and you put your new drums on and your new bass line, it actually sounds pretty good. Disguising, um, of course, and EQ and all that wonderful stuff. Yeah, and, and, and obviously I went back to the original record for certain bits, certain toms. I'll cut out bits from here, there. If I could find an acapella, I'll do that. And I had to do the same sort of with Serious Intention. That was very much just of two track masters, uh, two, tr two track masters, not 24 track, because again, they were missing. So it's, it's trying to find a bit from here, a bit from there, replay. I mean, it's quite fun finding the original sounds they used. So you can just sit there until you find it, especially with soft synth these days, you can normally find the sounds they've used and get it exactly the same. And then people think, well, oh, that's fine, it's a remix. I had to do it with Chanel, one man. Yeah. That's all replay. Those mess, because those multi-tracks back in those days, when we signed those deals, all they wanted was the quarter-inch, what was it on tape, quarter-inch master, or dat tape, whatever it was that we delivered, or half-inch two-track. Yeah. They didn't yeah. ask us, oh, by the way, you have stems. That's recent. I've been yeah. hearing that. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know? A lot of us house records are what they are, just a two-track master, pre-master, and yeah. you got to do the rest on your own. Had the acapellas though for you don't know which was good, and that was a real savior having that. <laughs> oh yeah, but that's on the record too. That's on the record. So yeah, yeah. you can you can lift that and you yeah. right you so got all that. They they are harder to do when you haven't got them all, as you know. Then they're harder to do as opposed to have all the separate parts. You can't be quite as experimental as you as you want, but at least you can you can uh, make it nice and fresh and a bit faster so we can play it in a club clubs house club these days. Um, and the trick is not going too fast. Otherwise it just doesn't work. It, it's just trying to get it as fast as you can without it sounding wrong. But uh, so a bit of time stretching going on there as well. No, I hear you. I hear you. The young Michael Gray, DMC era, Michael Gray, was he ever dreaming about that he would be, uh, have a huge career from all this? Was it just something that he was thinking at the time, I'm just going to play along because I love music. Like some of us thought we were never thinking about, this was going to be an international thing. It was just local level type thinking. Yeah, I always wanted to DJ and wanted to DJ in clubs. And then once I achieved that at 18, the moment I got to about 19, I started thinking, hang on, I want to start remixing these records. The records I'm getting sent in the post, some of the remixes are not so good. And I think I could do, I think I could do something with this record and stuff like, like, like younger producers today and remixes. Um, and then once you get the bug for it, that's it. You, I just, all I wanted to do was make records, produce records, but it just takes a long time learning your craft, learning your style, 
um, it just took a while. But I got into very much mega mixing. I was doing all these mixes. I had this thing called the Brits 1990, which was a mega mix of all various tracks. That actually went into a single in the 80s. That was a big thing to have something mixed, lots of records mixed together into one single. Um, so that was kind of bits and pieces, right? Bits and pieces. Like a bits and pieces, yeah. And that was a real learning curve uh, for me. But yeah. And then that's it. I kind of, I I sort of knew, to be honest, once I, once I hit 19, I knew I wanted to be in the music industry and make records. And my goal was always, I wanted to always be able to make a record that would be able to be played in 10 years time. Um, That was it. A good dance record that could be made in te- played in 10 years time it wasn't after making a radio record so um yeah, and well, needless to say a lot of those records did become seven inch edits and became radio records yeah because of how popular of the stuff the sound that you did through the late 90s and 2000s but here's a question that a lot of us have faced what was the most crushing moment in the music industry for you like as you were coming up that would have made you say oh my god maybe i'm not really set up for this you know um yeah i've had a couple um one was in the 90s when you're working as hard as you can you go to the record labels and you know i've been in i've been in meetings where you take your cassette with your two or three tracks and it's all very nice and the a&r guy starts listening to them and then you can see him going over to his copy of music week and he starts reading it as he's listening to the records and you just think i can't believe how rude you could actually be And that's nice. That's really nice they did that. I know, but yeah, I, I laugh. I got worse than that, brother. I got way worse than that. Of it, and I get the hell out of here with this shit. <laughs> <laughs> and and you have times where you know, for example, let's say you want Pete Tong to play it. Um, you know, especially in the nineties, he was the number one person to get your record to. As we the all Friday know. night guy, your Friday night guy still important now but he particularly them he was the friday night guy and he would try so hard and when we were doing the hustlers convention stuff he wasn't biting and then the moment we did the full intention and we just changed the sound shaped it a little bit tougher bang that was it but you know you go through a lot of tears and you think oh, i'm just going to give up and i I've, I've had it about five six years ago i was close to giving up when edm music come in and it just exploded and it just felt like it felt as if everybody wanted to just hear EDM. It was like that, bro. It was like that because I remember people looking at me going like we were ghosts. Like we just didn't exist. Didn't exist. Nobody (laughs) understands that. They asked this question, where have you been? So let me ask you, where have you been during that time? You know, and you answer, well, I've been right here. Yeah. But for whatever reason, you become invisible. Well, because the labels sort of think, well, your, your sound isn't tough enough. It hasn't got a 16-bar snare roll. It hasn't got huge breakdown and um, all this sort of stuff. And, and, you, and you, you try and make records like that or you try and do something that's in between, but it doesn't work. So, you know, thank God over the last four or five years, things have become gone back. It's like a reset button. Thank God. We want to hear records that sound like the 90s. Music! Uh, Music! Yeah. <laughs> now... Why did Michael Gray, who's known for being a house remixer, decide to put his feet deep in disco? We know you love disco. That's not. But why go through the painstakingly process of 
of shedding that house thing for a moment to work hard in disco? What was the uh, thought process? Because it is, it's always been my love and it's always the thing, even in the 90s, you know, when I was saying, John, let's do this track, let's do that, and, or full intention thing, they're all disco led and some records might become a little bit more housey. But I just love the fact with disco, it gives you a chance to, dare I say it, actually, you know, change key a little bit. You know, you put a bridge in a record where you couldn't beforehand. It allows you to bring the tempo down as well. Instead of everything banging away at 128, you can do it at 120, 118. And, and also something I've been no, I'd noticed from DJing either for Glitterbox or just, just generally going out, that a lot of younger kids really love the new disco sound. And I love it if they, when they come up to me and they say, I, I love what you're playing. We're so fed up of hearing the same old stuff on radio. You know, all they get is R&B on radio, especially in the UK on daytime radio. So for them and to come up to a club and they're only about 19 saying, this is what we want to hear. This is what, and you think, right, great. That makes me go into the studio and make more of it because it's great to appeal to a huge range of people, you know, whether my age or someone who's about 18. Did you ever think when we were in the middle of the EDM era that this would ever come back? No, <laughs> no, no, I didn't. And you, you start, that's why you start thinking, shall I just hang up, hang up everything now? You know, I could still DJ if I wanted to, and I, I was, and you get paid good money, but then you're realizing you're, you're always feel like you're diluting what you really want to play. So I actually even stopped and said, I'm not doing any more Michael Gray gigs. I just stopped. I don't care if it means you lose money. Um, it just means that I could then reset with full intention. This was about 2013, something like that. And just create the sound and start from scratch. And then I thought the house, more house music would come back in, which it was. Um, and, um, you know, and, and, and a big respect to people like Jamie Jones, who brought that deeper house stuff coming back in. Kerry Chandler, we were Big talking time. about I spoke yeah. to him this morning, yep, Kerry Chandler. Yeah. And, and Dave Lee, who's always kept, always kept to, you know, his sound, so. Yes, definitely. Yeah, and obviously the new guys around, um, Purple Disco Machine, everything like that, who's, you know, really kept that sound like, there's loads of people, I'm, I'm probably missing out loads of producers. Oh yeah, there's, I mean, we can name, we can sorry. sit here and name everybody. No, 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 don't be sorry. Listen, we can't remember everybody, but we will say, and everybody who contributed from Vega Morales, everybody. Absolutely. There's so many names, there's so I many names. Those guys are brilliant. But how important is it for you to stay humble and close to what you believe in? In other words, as much as you're told, maybe if you change this, this will work. What's the inner gut when you're sitting down writing and producing these records? Do you feel is important to hear someone's opinion? Or do you say, no, F that, I'm staying on course to what Michael Gray wants to do? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that, that's interesting. Of course, when you, if, when you put it on your own record label, you're the A&R guy, so it, it's, it has to work. But I will play it, obviously I'll play it to, you know, a few people that I trust um, and, you know, I'll play it to my girlfriend or whatever. And of course, obviously, if I'm not sure myself, like you, I'd, I'd probably just play it to a few people, DJs, and say, just, just give me your opinion. Do you prefer that chorus or do you prefer that chorus? You know, sometimes you need it, but only people you, you trust who give you an honest opinion. 
but I do think there are there are times when I've had records that I've sent to labels. I only send them to a couple of labels. I've sent to labels. They've turned them down, not because they didn't like them. They just didn't feel it was right for their label. Um, I've then put them on my own, and they've done really well. Um, not just on track source, but on the other mediums as well. And you think, oh, that's okay. I'm glad I stuck with my guns because I could have just put that on the shelf and thought they don't like it and that person doesn't like it. So, you know, sometimes you've just got to keep with what, what you feel is yourself, what's true. So is it more like the, I call it the push and pull theory. In other words, we still listen to what people are telling us, but yet F you to your opinion, I know better. <laughs> well, you know what I'm saying? Like a, little, a little bit, but you have to take it on, you know. And there's there's people I I, I trust and I know. And if they say something, because first of all, when someone gives you their opinion on your track, first of all, you're like, oh, oh, okay. But then you have to go away and think about, it, and you have to you have to humble yourself and say, well, hang on a second, let me have a proper listen to this. And do you know what? Funny enough, sometimes a month, two months might go past. You listen to that record and you get anything. Yeah, they were right. Right, and that happens to all of us. Yeah, it it happens to all. Yeah. You're angry, not angry. You're a bit bothered because you're not angry. You just it's like a oh, noise. Oh, Someone's oh, hitting oh. you here, going. Yeah, but it's just your pride. That's all. You're, you're you're proud of what you've done. You spent ages on it normally, um, and you're proud of what you've done. But it's quite funny because sometimes people say say to me, "Would you have a listen to my record? Do you, could I have? Could you have a listen?" And uh, don't you love that question? Could you be your honest opinion? And then I'll give my honest opinion and I never hear from them again. <laughs> I was like, oh, nothing nasty, but just say, I think you should do this and do that. And uh, but if they don't want to listen, they don't want to. But other people will take it on board and they do adjust it and it works. So hmm. it's a hardship and could be a loving experience, but yet it could be also a terrible moment. It's yeah. happened to all of us. <laughs> I've gotten sheets of recall stuff to do on records. And I know you have as well from some of the same A&Rs that we've all worked with. I'm not mentioning names, but I've made them laugh years later. I said, I remember you sending over four or five sheets of notes. We'd have to go through each part, have to make adjustments to the next. Yeah, but it's not a big deal these days because we just got total recall on our on our computers before. Back we, then, it was a lot of a lot of channel <laughs> desk or something. We're like, oh, right, okay, we've got all these markers and we can't scrub it until they've accepted it. But now right. it's just cool. I mean, I work on about three records a day because what I do is I spend let's say three hours on one or four hours, and then sometimes I just write, that's enough. I can't tell how good that is at the moment, so I'll go on to something else. Uh, work on that then I'll go back to it and I think oh, right that's wrong that's wrong that's wrong it's, it's really easy to do now there's no excuse for producers these days to not get it right it's true it's very true since you're Mr. Saturday people have always loved you for a major record that you had right before EDM kicked off that was a huge record probably one of the biggest on the weekend every week on Spotify that they have to get wound up and 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 and, and you know, getting dressed. You know, back in the day, I used to listen like Jelly Bean before I went out. You know, he'd be on on Disco ninety two, and you'd be getting ready. Well, your record's one of those records that you probably hear if it was nineteen seventy nine. You know what I'm saying? Like nineteen eighty. But what the hell made you do that? Like, it's such a great record. But how'd that all happen? The weekend. Always, I, I always wanted to make a record that was to do with the weekend. I love that 
I, I love that feeling. And, you know, it doesn't matter what age you are, especially when I was 15, 16, 17, and you're getting ready and you're listening to, to us. We used to listen to Greg Edwards, who used to be on Capital. And you're, you're listening to all these brand new uh, disco tunes and soul funk tunes. And you're like, I can't wait to go out tonight. I might hear these records. And, and it never leaves you. And I thought, what a great way to have a record that people can relate to. And, and that goes back to my point of where I wanted to make a record that you would hopefully want to listen to and dance to in 10 years time. And that came true. So, um, you know, I love feel good records. Um, I love things that make you feel good. The question I want to know is, was it an expensive clearance to deal with getting that all sorted out? <laughs> <laughs> and explain the process you know of clearing out. I know you replayed parts. I know you did all the stuff. Yeah, yeah. But what was the process to making that record? Like, you know, you want to do a weekend record. We got that. Are you sitting in the studio? Where were you? In London? Were you in some spot? Did it come to you at a bar? Were you talking to John saying, F you, I'm going to make a record. It's going to blow everybody away. Like, what, <laughs> what was the idea? Like, what was you thinking? You want to know that. John and I took a break from full intention about two and a half years before that. I wanted to just do some separate stuff and, you know, he had some things he wanted to do and we felt like we'd just become a machine um, remixing records the same as the last one. So um, I went on to produce this group called Portobello. I just wanted to do something different post-punk and I just wanted a little break from house music so I could reset all the battery, all the, all the things. And, um, and I put this rough idea together with some chords and I got Shenna in and I got another amazing singer Xavier in uh, to just put down this rough idea I had of a chorus which I got from an ad lib of Oliver Cheaton and uh, I worked on it and it was okay and then I just left it got on with this group Portobello so this was just before uh, and left it finished the group signed them to Ireland thought right tick done that that's that got that out of my system and um, then uh, when I went back to it, all of a sudden, all the ideas come flooding back. I'd, I'd taken a long break from house music, well, a whole year really. Um, and all the ideas just came really, really quickly. Um, we just put it out as a chorus uh, only with the music, cleared the publishing um, you know, with Oliver. Um, and, uh, and that was it really. It, and hit then, record happened, bro, hit record. We, we were lucky. <laughs> Yeah, three thousand white labels. I think are, are, are just in a beta alone. Um, but, um, right, because everybody had a copy, right? Yeah. Well, they did. They made sure. Um, yeah, and then uh, you know they said that we think we got a radio record here. So um, and we got uh, a guy called Jim Irvin and Sally Steele to write the verses. Well, we got a few people, but when they theirs come in, it was like bang, that's it, that's the one. You know, I didn't want it too cheesy. I wanted it still cool because you could easily cheese out a record like that was that your idea to have that hot chick on the xerox machine in the office funny you should say that no it was not i promise because <laughs> <laughs> it would be something i would say that means something i would think michael would probably want to do just for the gag well i, I what i did want the only thing i did want was a daft punk-esque sort of robotic sort of video 
and then obviously it's a more uplifting record. It's not a dark tune or it's so, so Robot, it's not robotic. It's still very soulful sounding, you know? Yeah. So that's why, but with the, with the movements of one of Daft Punk's records, uh, well, sorry, one of their videos, um, I can't remember which it's not defunct. It's one of those where there's, there's a lot of robotic movements in the video. And around where, the world when they're going around. Yeah. That, yeah. They, sorry. It's around the world. world. My memory's going. Age. Right, your um, memory's very good, mate. You can even remember names. You're doing better than I am. I'll uh, be honest, you must be taking that Provagen for your brain. <laughs> <laughs> so that was it. Um, and, and we sent the scripts, uh, the, the scripts come back in from various different directors. And, you know, with that in mind, bang, that was it. And the idea of the photocopier and her sort of doing the robotic dancing. And then the four girls were chosen. Uh, the director chose the four girls. I thought we made a brilliant choice. I remember going out to Pineapple Dance Studios on a Sunday afternoon to watch them rehearse it. That was quite a buzz. Um, so that, yeah, and that was good. I didn't want to be in it. I already said that. I thought, no, no more videos. I've been in a few of full intention ones. That was enough at the time. So I think the girls, I think I would have ruined it if I was in it. <laughs> Can't imagine How's it balancing family life with 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 having a twenty four hour lifestyle like we can? Uh, like how's that? How's that work for you? As it's you had know? its moments. Yeah, it's had its moments because it is hard. You're doing a job that is like is your second. Well, is 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 one of your loves. It's your big loves, um, and it is very hard to switch off. So, um, and then of course when the DJing steps up as after you have a record like that it does put pressure you suddenly you know you got your three boys at the time i had three boys who are under 18 months two were twi you know, twins and, and an 18 month old so it was chaos it was chaos in the house so it wasn't the easiest thing and trying to balance everything so no i don't regret obviously <laughs> having all these records and um, some of them doing better than the others. But yeah, it is, it is, it does put a strain. And I think most producers and DJs will tell you that, but more so from the DJing point of view, because you're away a lot and it is hard. But at least for you, you were lucky because with me, with me and the American lot, we'd have to start from New York. I feel so sorry for yeah, to get to oh. the UK, it's eight hours. Before I, even now to this day, I still think how you guys do it. I, do not know. For the love and then the money. <laughs> because we love the music, but you actually have always said as a DJ, you get paid to travel yeah. because if you love what you do, it's not a job. Yeah. But the job <laughs> is me dealing with the airplanes, the cars, the trains, the aggravation. As you know, even you traveling around Europe, jet setting, it's still, you, you still feel the stress of getting to a gig dealing with a promoter yeah. it's not easy yeah. people think it's glamorous you know? it's definitely not glamorous it's glamorous going out it's not glamorous coming back when you're tired and you've only had about three hours sleep <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah I, I enjoy i think the hardest one was you know when i was playing australia quite a few times and that used to be quite tiring uh, and i'm one of these people that you know i like to be in the studio a lot and so the idea of going on a, a two week tour is not going to happen for me. I did it once and I, I wouldn't do it again. So after that, I would do a Australia, get this in three days to four days max. Back, so, back to back gigs. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I did it. So, and, and 
Mighty Mike. Mighty Mike. I had a way and I kept on UK time so it didn't become tiring so I was fresh when I, I got I, you know, I had to sleep on the second leg of the of the plane and uh, straight to the club bang and, and it, it worked that way but for you going back and forth to New York which I've done a few times and it is yep. tiring so yeah good on you Thursday night play Friday play Saturday come home Sunday start working in the studio again yeah. Every weekend for years, you feel like you're on. You feel like you live in the damn plane sometimes. Yeah. But I will never ever say it was horrible. It was the most great experience of my life. I wouldn't know you guys, bro. Yeah. If we didn't have that chance. What dance music has done, it made the world small. It literally did. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it was awesome to have the friendships we all have. The experience, yeah. You know that. We've sat down many times. You and I had coffee together, laughing about other things outside. People, we don't only talk about music 24-7. We've had some conversations. We've had conversations about people, bullshit. Like you do with yeah. your friends. You sit down, you have a glass of wine, and you just say, hey, how are you doing? Not yeah. how are you doing musically. How are you doing? And then things happen. You know, yeah. things roll out. Yeah, that's the kind of relationships, and I and you learn from this. You assimilate with people that you normally would never have gotten a chance to ever meet. Oh, because if you go on vacation, you go to let's say you go to New York on vacation, you don't have time to meet people like the way we've all become friends. It's impossible. No, yeah, it, it's 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 the best. Like the first time that well, second time I went to New York, we went on to New York in two thousand four, a working holiday. This is John and myself. And, you know, to meet a lot of, you know, people that we've looked up to over the years was incredible. And I'd, you'd never ever do that normally. You know, we got to work with Barbara Tucker, Darjay, um, Dwayne Hardin, uh, Blaze. It, it, it was just like who's who and go to all these amazing clubs, shelter, which again, and you get treated different because you're in the same thing. But if I went as a punter, it would be a lot different. Get away. Go stand online. Get over there, boy. <laughs> no, your full intention. Oh, bring him in. Bring him in the booth. Get him some champagne. That's a whole different world, of course. I tell this all the time. If it wasn't what we do, we would never have that kind of love and respect. Do you know the best thing I'm finding now, though, is meeting my a lot of my idols who I'd never always looked up to. So, you know, seeing people like Jelly Bean, John Morales. You think, God, I used to play your records religiously. I learned right. off people yeah. and then you can meet them it's a it's a real buzz um and that's it that's that's the great thing so and and getting to see going to countries which you would never ever probably ever gone on holiday you know siberia dj in siberia for why were you month. in siberia for a gig <laughs> well that's my point that's <laughs> a, michael here's the best question i've always gotten and i know you maybe you've heard this or maybe not but i'll, I'll share this with the, the community watching us don't they have DJs in Siberia? Why do they need to bring you? So why are they bringing you, Michael? Yeah, well, I don't know. Maybe they didn't. I, I don't know. But Yeah, I used to get so tired. You travel to go play records? Why? Yeah, it's funny when you tell people the places you go to, they what, really? Just there? Just for that? And then you're back? <laughs> Just for that? That's it. <laughs> but why? What makes you special? They don't have people there to do that? They have plenty of people there to do that. They just want you. Yeah, it's it's a nice buzz. Yeah, like you said earlier, you're you're not really doing a job. 
you're just doing something that you love to do. I, I, and earning I, some key and earning some shekels on the way home, a bag of shekels to go pay bills at the end. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Which brings me to our matrimonial thing that we have together, which is one yeah. of the most pivotal records in house music. And you mentioned Dwayne Harden. I'll quickly sum this up. Gladys Pizarro and Dwayne and I got together. Gladys was the A&R at Strictly Rhythm and Dwayne and I wrote a, a song at the time when he went to work with Amon Ben Heldon. Those that know, you don't know me. He had a number one hit with him. Pre to the, post to that, right after six months later, a guy who worked a regular job and a very good job, he made a lot of money at UPS, he now has become, was becoming a singer. And it was a joke for him because he wasn't really into this, but he was a big dancer in the clubs. And we went and wrote a song called What You Need. Meanless to say, Gladys and I would go into studio and I was producing the track and we had 10 or 12 vocal sessions. I've seen it, it said this many times. We finished the record, got it to the likes of Pete Tong, may he rest in peace, Trouble Anderson, Paul Trouble Anderson, and Danny Rampling, and they rocked the record. The yeah. weekend the record went out on an acetate, my phone rings at home in New York, and that's Simon Dunmore telling me I started defected, and I'm gonna go to the old man, Finkelstein, and I'm gonna ask him to sign it, I want this record. Post to that, I'm like, cool that monday happens i get a call from finkelstein he says they're signing the record i was like great and next thing you know simon dumb was very close to mr gray because at that time he was i think it just started to manage him if i remember correctly yeah, and yeah. he was an in-house like kind of like an in-house guy to a m simon and now the defective record so i now signed the record to finkelstein which is strictly rhythm and then the record goes across the ocean with my parts to Mr. Michael Gray. I'll and, pick up that <laughs> and of course, full intention, Simon Dunmore and the whole lot. Yeah. I'll let you pick up that part of how that yeah. record steps in yeah. your life. The moment we heard it, we thought, this is brilliant. Uh, this is fantastic. The production was really good. The song was really hooky. So, um, and then we took the track and we had to re-record all the strings. <laughs> <laughs> from the from the sample uh and that was fun and so we did all that and yeah it, it, it's i think between us all we were lucky enough that that went i think in the uk i think it went top i think it went to four i, I might be wrong yeah yeah it was up there it was up there and here's the funny part i remember being in the uk doing the whole press tour with with Dwayne and they were saying they couldn't bring all the members in because of the problem with the musicians okay. unions in England. What happened there? I don't remember. Yeah. I never got that part of the story, but there was an issue on your end with them. Yeah. Well, we John and I we did we we used the str uh, string arranger. I think we used Stephen Hussey. I can't remember uh, from Soul to Soul fame. And he we decided we'd use ten players. So uh, string players. So I think we had something, something along the lines of probably four violins, four violas, and um, no, that's it. Yeah, no, we, we couldn't have had two cellos. Anyway, it doesn't matter. So we had <laughs> ten. We don't need one cello. Anyway, there's ten, ten players. Now over here, MU rates. We have to pay them a certain amount for each. You get three hours with them. That is it. And the moment the, the session's finished, they can just up and leave, even if you're not finished. That's the rules. 
And uh, on top of that, you they all have to get a paid a session for that three hours each one. So that's fine. But what we didn't realize, um, Simon rang me up and said, um, I don't know if I can afford to put this on top of the pops because we got to pay another 10 times their session fees again for it going on television. And it's deciding. And I never so, heard. See, I never knew that. He never said a word. <laughs> You only get that in this country. And we thought, oh, yeah. So I can't remember what the session was. I think I think it was probably another £250 times 10. 2,500 uh, £2, sterling. Yeah, something like that. But it was kind of deci deciding, oh, okay, this is a bit more expensive. But over here, luckily, Top of the Pops is um, or was such an institution, so watched. And if your record went on Top of the Pops, you know it's going to, it's more likely to increase, go up the charts than go down. So of course, Simon said, no, let's, let's, it's going out. So, and that was it. So we were lucky, but uh, from since then, we've, we've restricted the players to about, or I do to about six maximum. Right. Because of that, because of that regulation, right? Yeah. <laughs> I had no idea that that regulation held any weight in England like that. Yeah, that's why, um, especially in the early days, it was so strict with the Musicians Union in the 80s and stuff. If an American disco record was, uh, the artist came over on top of the, on top of the pops to, 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 to sing, that backing track had to be totally re-recorded that afternoon by MU members. So it never sounded quite the same. What? As it was originally recorded. Like Soul Train? Like when they would do the Soul Train, play the backing track, everybody's like... Yeah, they, the, the, all the music would be re, re, recreated. So whatever the track was. So if it was strings... I didn't you know, know that. Yeah. Someone would be paid to re, redo all those backing tracks. They weren't allowed to use the original. <laughs> We've had some interesting people step up and been, they've, been, they've been cursing at me because they want me to say hi to you. Junior Sanchez, he's like nice to see both of you. Oh, Junior! Oh, I love Junior Sanchez, lovely guy. I haven't seen Junior for since um, ADE two years ago, I think. And Michael Ben Liebren would like to thank you for that bass drum and hi hat. <laughs> You're welcome, Ben. That's someone I've learned a lot of. I think a lot of you have. He's his his radio mixes have been very very transcending and very. Let's put it like this. They were a a big change to that sound in the 80s. I mean, he changed the game, yeah. Ben Lieberman, oh, for yeah. a lot of us that we were hearing stuff going on. And also, what's his name? Paul, um, who did D-Train. Paul Hardcastle, too. Another one. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Take that water, Mike. I got some questions to give you. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, favorite car? that you like to drive these days? Oh, uh, I just, funny enough, I took, I took delivery of this one week before lockdown and finding out that, uh-oh, uh, can I afford it? Uh, my new Mercedes convertible, which I oh, so you like German. Beautiful. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> well, I can go two car. My kids now, uh, they're all 17, 17 and 19. One of them is now driving. I don't have to do the school run anymore. So oh, I, said, I remember to call you. I get your new car, you get your cars, and we've got you sorted. I'm going back to two door. Good so, for you. Good yeah, for you. No more family to, units. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me how how's it been for you dealing with COVID, dealing with the whole change uh, of the music industry and the gigs. 
you know, let people understand what that's like for us. Yeah, in the music is the weird bit. Uh, first of all, I was like, that's okay because I'm so used to being in the studio anyway. I'm, I'm in my, I'm always locked down myself anyway. Uh, from eight thirty in the morning to about six at night or seven at night. That's the way I've been five days a week. But now I must admit, and it started about two months ago. I'm starting to really miss that buzz of going out Saturday night and 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 making people dance and playing new records that that is is a, a, a is a bit frustrating but you know what it's better to stay safe and just say right let's just have a fresh start next year and you know uh, I, I enjoy doing um a, vir a virtual festival for glitter box and that was a real buzz um to do and that was kind of the closest i think to actually dj for someone <laughs> since i don't know i don't know february i guess um but i've i'm lucky enough i've been okay um i, I just feel sorry for a lot of djs who don't make records uh who, their income isn't supported with royalties um that is hard for them and i, I do feel for them so um but hopefully it might just inspire them to go in the studio and make lots of good songs which is leads me to what I'm saying now it, for, for, for me. Um, and it's again, ultra Moda, who I put a lot of my records through and look after my social label, you know, Bass there, he turned around and said, to be honest, we're not worried whatsoever. We're putting out exactly the same amount of records, if not more, because people want to hear vocals. And, uh, you know, that is the good thing about it. it, it it's um, vocal records sound great <laughs> at home. I know they don't sound, maybe they don't always sound as tough and as, as, as a big dance instrumental record, but they're actually working quite well for lockdown. For, for, so me personally, I haven't seen any, any dip. Um, Here in the United States, there's a discussion in the restaurant business. Now restaurant is across the board, bars and clubs, that one out of three may come back after this is over. One out of three, which means about $85 million in income will be lost, meaning Scared. bartenders, and that's, that's a reality check, okay? Is there a fear amongst the UK community, because I know you speak to the other guys, about who will be able to come back? you know, as far as venues and us being able to do what we do. What do you think that's going to be like that landscape after mm -hmm. this is finally over? I mean, you know, if you can look at the crystal ball, what do you think it would be? I think uh, it's, it's a tricky one. It's, it's okay for the promoters who, the promoters who put on festivals or they've had to cancel it this year, but they are just switching that all to next year, but they don't have an actual building to pay to have to pay loads of rent to so it's hard hardest hit obviously as we know is 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 the uh is the actual clubs and i just don't know it's we've never ever seen anything like this in our lifetimes have we never so who who knows what it's going to i think a few are obviously going to close but unless they can use them as turn them into sort of sit down sort of restaurants playing background music i'm not sure how it's going to work mm. um yeah, yeah. I, I, well, I, let's ask this question: Are you comfortable with the fact that all of a sudden, say somebody says to you now, "I need you to come and play"? Okay, so we're still we're going to be putting masks on. Let's be realistic until we're some sort of vaccination. Yeah. But actually performing, because I saw David Morales did a gig in Greece, and they had tables, no dancing. How do you feel about this whole? I am performing, 
to yes. like a stand-up crowd. Like, we're, like I should give you a microphone and you could do comedy yeah. jokes as it feels like you're talking <laughs> to, you know? This is something that goes through my mind. I'm thinking, right, if I, if I start up doing that, how will it feel? Because it's in our DNA to want to make people dance you know, from building up the first record and, 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 and trying to get as many as you can crammed on the dance floor. That's the, that's the whole thing and enjoying themselves. And you feed off them. You feed off people, you know, smiling in front of you or dancing. The more they dance, the more you think, oh, great, I'm going to play more like that or, you know, that type of thing. And that obviously that's not going to be there. All I can say is I just remember when, again, going back to this my, my, when I was 16 and I worked for two years in this fun fun pub they called it fun pub then it's like a bar but you didn't have a, a dancing license people were not allowed to dance um, because if they did then they would have to they weren't allowed to let 200 300 people in it'd have to be a hundred people so they didn't want that because they lose a lot of money so I was used to playing to people who didn't dance who couldn't dance. And if they did dance, I had to stop them. The manager would come up and say, you need to stop them, change the record. <laughs> so, yeah, I kid you not. I kid you not. And it's kind so, of- So, so what, was the, what was the Killjoy record at that moment? <laughs> Mike, Mike, change it. The police are outside. What was the Killjoy? Yeah, it'd be probably something kind of, uh, I don't know, just not a, one of the more popular records or, or whatever. Because back then it would have been a lot of soul and funk. I was playing, you know, things like Tony Lee, Reach Up, whatever. So you would obviously not play those records. You would suddenly go into playing something a little bit more mellow, not so much of a beat. <laughs> <laughs> or you physically went up to that person and said, oh, can you stop dancing? Just they stop dancing? Why? Dance. Yeah. Okay, mate. Okay, mate. I'm sorry. So we're just start dancing again. Like, wait a minute. No. I love dance. your English accent that just crept in there. Okay, mate. Okay. <laughs> I love mate. That. We're all companies. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I've been doing it so long. I've picked it up so long hanging out with all of you. It's like, I get it. Boy, uh, boy no dancing, mate. No dancing. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> that's the thing now. How, as a producer, this was always big for me, bro. And all the DJs I know, we love to test records when we're in the middle of making them. Oh, yeah. How the hell does that work now for you? Well, that's completely gone out the window. There's no way of testing them. There's no way of testing them. It's the, the, the last test is really in the car now. Yeah, <laughs> it's really upstairs. Really. The last test of all things. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that is the same. But again, um, luckily enough now for me and for you, I'm sure you have the same. There's so many internet radio stations that play just house music or just play disco or new disco or whatever it is. Uh, for example, you know, my soul where I've, and my house where I've got my show and I will listen to that a lot during the day. And obviously you start hearing your records played on that. You think this is really good. That means this is starting to get accepted. It's a shame you haven't got that buzz of literally physically watching people, but you get a rough idea if someone likes a record. You know, you can so, have the best hit drum in so the world. Someone, right, so someone coming to watch you now, what was the pecking order for promoting a record? Like you would make the record, it's finished. Okay, so in your world, the production's finished. Take it from there, what do you do? We go to mastering. What, what's that all about to the point of a record being released for someone yeah. that doesn't understand what goes on? Okay, well, in, in the past, obviously, you'd get the record right up to you're really happy, done the car test, then you would play it out your next gig. And then after that, 
that would depend whether you go back and do some tweaks. For example, we mentioned the weekend. I remember playing that out and um, immediately the moment I played it, I could hear a few things that weren't quite right. You just don't hear it until you hear it on a big system and you watch the crowd reaction. And then you quickly make a mental note in your head, go home, make those tweaks and that. Obviously you can't do that now. So a lot of it, but for, for me, particularly these days anyway, um, I'll make the record at home. I'll then take it to another studio where, I've, for example, where I've been today, I'll spend a couple of hours at this other studio with a very good engineer who will just find all the bits that I've not quite got right and make them better. Say, for example, with you know, the kick drum, it's not cutting as well as it could. He might suggest us try a different one or just change it very slightly. It could be small things like that, but then it will come out. I know that I've had that extra 10% put on to make it up to 100 so I've taken it to him 90% probably right and he's given it the 10% so I now know it's gone through someone else's ears who I re respect and a much bigger studio huge Genelec speakers and I know what it will sound like um, and, and then after that um, I will send it to get mastered and then that's the that's the last part in the chain so it's gone through quite a few people in order to know that it it sounds good and those people i all respect they all turn around to me uh, and say mike i think that hi-hat is too coarse can you reduce that before i master it you know the mastering engineer will tell me it's like being at school you've got that bit wrong it's not like you to do that you know so you go back and readjust it but that's what you want you don't want someone just to oh i just do it because i bet not tell him that it's not very good you know you want people to be honest with you. But be honest with yourself now. Everybody now is everything. The guy is the guy in the beginning. He changes hats. He is now the A&R. He's the producer. He's the mastering technician. He's the promoter. He's, how yeah. do you be bipartisan being all that? Well, I'm, I'm used to being, I'm used to the production side doing the whole lot myself. As again, my grounding was DMC where we were expected to do the whole lot ourselves. It wasn't the case of sitting in a nice cozy chair and, you know, where maybe a classic producer would say, um, right, can you put a bit of that on? Can you do the drums? Can you do this? And, and you go, well, I like that. I don't like that. You're doing it yourself. You've been taught to do it yourself. Um, you, know, you didn't have the budgets to, to say, oh, I'll pay for this person. I'll pay. They just didn't have it. So you did it yourself. So ever since then, I've carried on doing that. Obviously, if if I need a, you know, live strings put on, I'll pay for that and things like that. And, you know, I, the keys that I've got sound a bit rubbish. I'll get someone else to put some better chords on if I can't get the ones I want. But apart from that, that bit I do myself. Um, and then with record label, like we said earlier, once the record's done, I will then send it to a few people and um, just check. I've got something that hopefully they like, you know, and, um, uh, then I can then release on my label. Here's one for you. I spoke to Kerry Chandler. He's right now in the middle of making an album. So his album got pushed back due to COVID for the release schedule. Same with Carmen Power. My, some of my key records, I decided since we have no club scene, I'm holding back a few key ones that we really need that extra push. Is there anything hiding in the box in Michael Gray's storage cabinet that's about ready, was about ready to come out and you hold it back out of the oven. I've got to be honest, I don't think there is. The only records that are holding back are the ones I can't get clearance for, which are remixes, 
which will go on forever and ever and ever, but I'm holding back. I won't just whack them out and, as a bootleg. I'm holding back. So there are a few special ones, but that's, I'm not doing it for any other reason other than I'm just waiting for certain major record labels to go. To wake up and go, it's okay. On, you know, <laughs> you could make some money out of this and, you know, um, but yeah, the, 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 but there is a lot. There is a lot of records that I've been working on and I, I can't wait to put out, but unfortunately, <laughs> At the moment, you have to make sure you don't put all your records out in one go. So they are, at the moment, it's all plotted for the next two months, three months, a record roughly every week or every other week. There's An older Michael Gray talks to the young Michael Gray. What does he tell him not to do? Because I could tell you from me. <laughs> <laughs> older Michael Gray, the wiser Michael Gray, Grayed in hair, weathered with wisdom. Talks <laughs> to the young guy at DMC. Take that water. You have to answer it. Tell yeah, the young what, guy at Michael Gray at DMC what to do and what not to do. What does he tell him? Don't do this. I can't. I, I'm going to be honest here. This That's is going right, to sound really like But there's nothing that I can think of. Um, I can't think of anything. Uh, the only thing I suppose the one thing I would have done is I wished I didn't panic when music started to change from what I normally did when electro come in I was like yeah I like some of this is good and then it got heavier and heavier then you're like and then EDM come in and then you start trying to readjust your records and it wasn't just me doing that because I know a lot of, a lot of very famous DJs and producers that we all know we all had a crack at it thinking well, we'll, we'll try and do something. You we'll know. survive through this. We'll make it. Yeah, and I regret trying. I regret trying, and I wish I never did that. I wish I just stuck to my guns, and that includes from the DJing point of view. Should have just, you know, but that's that's one thing. And from now on, I will be, you know. So you tell that young guy, don't you dare change. Stick to your guns. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Tell it. Okay, so the Grammy-nominated part, some of you, some of you know that he's been nominated for a Grammy. Some of you didn't know he was nominated for some Grammys. Let Mike tell you which one he was nominated for. And as well, I remember when I met up with him in New York, he was here getting another award that he'll tell you about for uh, I, I can't remember if it was a young band you were working on. Yeah, or, I was produced a, uh, or co-produced um, yeah young band called Midnight Mystery Club. That's when I saw you. Two years ago, wasn't it? That's yes, right. in New York. Yeah, we had a chat. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, we we were lucky to be nominated for three different categories: best, best album, best single, and best producer. And we come away with one of them, which is best producer, which was fantastic. So I was I was happy with that. <laughs> um, you have the award? Is the award in the room, or is it on the? Uh, where is the award? Where next is it? It's where is it? It's in. Uh, oh, yeah. It's I. I think it's in the kitchen. Go get it. Go get it. Go get it. Go bring it. After uh, you guys show everybody your award. Go get that award. Well, right, I'll tell them. Go ahead. So we got Mike. Mike running to get his award, as you saw with the shorts on, that he's going, because it's important that he shows that award to everybody. It's amazing how I remember all this stuff. I don't have no script. Someone asked me today, Lenny, do you have the scripts written? I just want to let Michael Gray know, I don't have a script written, Mike. Okay, I just go by my memory. It may, may, be, may make me crazy, but it's a good interview. Wow, Michael Gray and David Paul Newell. 
Yeah. They're really good. It's kind of a 70s, they're all original songs, 70s vibe to them. And uh, yeah, just really cool songs. Stuff that's uh, very LA. <laughs> so, uh, there's that one. And then seeing as I, while I was there, because these were in the kitchen, um, and that's the nomination that John and I received for George Michael's Amazing when we remixed Amazing. And that was a fantastic experience going over to LA. Tell us that experience. Tell the viewers yeah. how that felt, the LA uh, thing. It's just a huge buzz. I'd never been to LA before, any, I'd never been, nor neither of us had. And um, just just going to the, the parties beforehand and meeting up with so many, you know, talented people and great people. That was the buzz. Uh, the funny thing is I just remember sitting there and thinking, I hope we haven't won because I don't want to go up and make a speech. <laughs> and the other half of me thinking kind of, I do want to, I, I, I would like to win. Yeah, I'm shocked that you wouldn't even say that. I'm like, everybody's dream is to win that damn thing. Come on. Yeah, you kind of want to win it. You just think, oh God, I've got to get up and say something. You know, I've got nothing prepared. But we didn't win it. And uh, but uh, the, the the fact is, what I love, what one thing I do love about the Grammys, as opposed to over here, the Brits, they the Grammys have a dance category and um, all that sort of stuff. And also, you you know, you you. The nomination is treated, I think, as as if you have one. You know, it's a yeah, very... because it's an honor, mate. It's an honor to get that. Yeah, and I, and and you know what? I come away with a, a nomination, and that was enough for me. Honestly, it was enough for me because you God know in his heart that. Well, I, I I give you a double a double golf clap, and everybody who's watching is golf <laughs> clapping hard on that one. Oh, thank you. Because I never forget when you said to me, "I'm coming to New York to get an award." I'm like, "Well, what what award are you getting?" Oh, I'm doing this. <laughs> This, ah, I'll tell you when I see you. I remember you telling me. I'll, I'll tell you when I. It's just, but that's the alternative side to Michael Gray. What exactly? Tell you know people don't really know that Mike. What what is that alternative side musically for you that you've been involved in? I just every now and then I like to do something slightly different. It's always going to be dance orientated, but it, it might not be a four to the four house thing. And this guy, Paul, he came to write with me. Um, I was introduced to him by Simon Marley from the Shapeshifters. And he came to do a bit of writing on one of my tracks. And he said, by the way, would you ever listen to this? What do you think? And uh, it sounded a bit like um, Empire of the Sun, his first record he played to me. And I said, I love it. This is really good. And he said, would you be interested in doing a whole album? I like the way you work. I was like, yeah. So we literally worked, he worked from LA and sent over bits and pieces and music and the song and everything. And I start putting it all together at this end. And I think we recorded about 10 tracks and uh, again, alternative it's, you know, don't expect it to be banging house or, or anything like that, but it's, um, it was a real buzz. So we didn't expect to get that award either. And that, that's been really good. Does those awards bring more work for you? Kind of, I think so. But uh, again, um, it, it, it's, it's a funny thing because I then always want to go back and carry on making house music. I love house music. I love disco music. So you kind of think, yeah, I still want to do that. You know, my heart is very much making dance records. I love watching, make, I, I love making records that make people dance. 
Um, so you, you kind of don't really want to go too much into, I don't think I could be a producer producing pop acts or just completely in the background all the time. There's always part of you wants to go out and DJ and make those records that are a little bit more um, energetic to dance to and stuff. Gotcha. On the outsides of music, for me, people don't realize this, but I've said this many times before, I'm a big classic rock fan. Jethro Tull, Led Zeppelin. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. that's something you say. <laughs> In a white room with dark curtains. I love English rock. Loved it. Wow. Always been around us in America because Jimi Hendrix, all that stuff. It's been, you know, yeah, part of the yeah. bar scene. You went out, post-disco in the 80s, Devo, let it whip. If you didn't hear that, you heard. Yeah. Stay away to heaven a thousand times. And everybody playing their air guitar. Is there any <laughs> other music that you put on besides R&B when you're hanging out? Um, mainly, to be honest with you, mainly it's soul. I like a lot of 80s pop, stuff like that. Um, I suppose really? You say, not particularly Devo, but I like, you know, a lot of new romantic stuff with the Human League. But stuff that I just, if I just want to unwind to, I, I like that, uh, that, that kind of thing. A lot of, lot of soul and funk. I don't listen to loads of house in the car because I'm making it all day, every day. <laughs> so you don't necessarily, obviously I check my mixes, I listen to a whole load of new records, but I won't, I won't hear a house record and then play it religiously again and again and again. Um, like I probably would maybe um, soul and stuff like that. But yeah. Emails come in, tons of promos. How do you balance that? The DJ introducing new music into his sets. Yeah, now that, that's an interesting one because probably like you, I now get so many promos, I physically couldn't look through every single one. So I look out for the labels that I, um, I know the quality is gonna be there. For example, example Glitterbox, Defected, I'm just saying the obvious ones. There's lots of others. Um, and then I, what I tend to do is I will just go to TrackSource and I will look through all the new re releases and I will just buy them. I don't have a problem with buying <laughs> records. As far as I'm concerned, I'm supporting other people, you know, and I, I, I don't have to have that, you know, free one. If there's a record I've heard, I will go out, out of my way to try and try and get from the person so I can play it out that weekend like we do. But generally, I'm, I think it's sometimes it's quicker just to go through track source and find the records, buy the records, because they're, they're, you know, there's a Could lot of- could you imagine like what Pete Tong gets? If we're getting four, 500 records a week, what the God's name is BBC guys getting? I say yeah. this, he must be getting 100,000 records a week. Well, luckily enough, he's got one or two producers who can uh, sift through those funnel, records. Funnel it down. But that is the problem when we're sending our records to people like Pete Tong and, and Annie Mac and that, because we don't even know if those records even reach up. Because Bingo. I'm they so get, glad they, they get stopped at the producer who the producer might, you know, well, if he's not in at the moment, we're not in. I'm not saying that's the case, but sometimes that, you know, that, that can happen. Um, Let's go back to love group radio show. Good old Lewis Dean used to call him up and say, oh, yeah. on their way over. He knew they were coming. Rampling would have him on a Friday night if he loved it because they were so close to what was going on in the street. 
Yeah. How does a guy deal? How does a guy, a new up and coming producer, deal with trying to get his music heard? What's that like? What do you think that's like for someone? Yeah. I don't think it's got any easier. Um, I, I don't think it's. I don't think it's got any easier, really. Um, I mean, beforehand we'd have the white label, and if you had the money or you saved up all your money to press a thousand white that's label, right, five hundred, you know, the record shop would put them you know, under the counter for certain DJs, for example, Danny Ramplin, you know, right, we know he's going to play it on Love Groove Dance Party, yeah, bang, if he likes it, obviously, but it will get to the right people. It is a bit harder now, uh, but I think it's a lot of uh, persistence. But if I'm really honest, is that I think that, you know, getting your records on Traxxas or Beatport, if that record is good, it will climb, it will go up on its own merit, because the, your best audience are DJs. You know, I, I, I've, I've seen records, I um, even had one or two records that record companies have completely turned down. And I've seen, you know, they turned down big records. The DJ or producer has put them out on his own little white label uh, or, or and, and nowadays he will then just put on his own label and put on track source and they've blown up and they've gone to one or two. And it's the power of the DJ because you know we're we're not we're not listening so intently to we're, we're flicking through the records that's good i like that like uh, you know it's it's a different sort of situation do you miss that i used to call the gentleman's gentleman's well, what, uh, what would i call that place it's like the barber shop is like the record the record shop was like the hangout it oh. was it was the faction of ideas kinetic energy records blew up from there do you really miss that I do. Yeah, I used to love it. Every th I think it was every Thursday I would go up uh, to London to Uptown Records and Black Market. They're the two, well, one of the two of them. And uh, I used Undobly. to... On Dobley, on Dobley Street. <laughs> and I'd spend an hour, two hours, three hours maybe up there chatting to, chatting to other DJs, meeting new people. Because especially, you know, DJs that might have been on Radio 1 and then suddenly you're, they're standing by the side of you or kiss and you're like, oh, that's such and such. And you're like, you have to sort of say, oh, hello, you know, thanks for playing my record or something like that. And you're also seeing what they're, you can see what they're, they're checking out and vice versa. It's quite interesting. You think there's a buzz on this record. Yeah, I think this is good. This is really good because you can see so many people, you know, are jumping on a certain tune. And I do miss that. And it, it was a real social thing. It is a shame we haven't got that now. However, on saying that, I, I don't want to harp about the past because I feel as if now just having everything uh, on a memory stick is so much easier getting... Oh, oh, yes, yes. <laughs> yes, your back is not hurting anymore from those record yeah. boxes. Do you know the worst thing though, Lenny, I used to hate and John and I had this quite a few times you go to Ibiza and especially in the 90s if you were only going for one night you would have to get two flights you know it was only the package deals that would let you go for a whole you know you know go direct if you were going for a whole week or something so we'd get on the first plane our records would get loaded on and equipment because we used to do a sampling set and live thing as well and then we get on the next plane at uh, Barcelona, the connection, for example, we get to Ibiza, we're waiting for that turnstile going around and uh, the records come through, for example, and none of the equipment or the other way around, all the equipment comes through and the records, and then you'll find out that they're still back in Barcelona. And then the classic, they always say to you, or used to say, don't worry, you'll have them for tomorrow. 
they're like, but I'm playing tonight. Yeah. Like, that's it. And what's that, that feeling? Is, what's the feeling in your chest when they say that it's to you? Hor- oh, it's, it's feel like someone's ripped out your, oh, it's awful. Uh, but, you know, I've had it where, you know, the promoter said, well, would you like to go through the resident DJ's record? See what he's got if you want to play those. But it's not the same, is it? It's just not the same. <laughs> Call me a snob, but it's not. I know, I know exactly. Okay, so now we go to the worst gig of, of all time to the greatest gig. You, we all have had them. The worst gig to the greatest gig. Oh, I've had a few. <laughs> a few of both. <laughs> well, give us one of the worst and one of the greatest. Uh, you know what the problem is before you say anything? People think everything we do is completely glamorous. It ain't. It is. No. It ain't. I, I, I think that the, the, I mean, it's so weird how you can DJ to, you know, one, one week, one Saturday, you're DJing to, let's say, a packed, absolutely packed room. And then you go to a club the week later, different place, and there's 50 people in there. And you think, oh, how did that happen? And it's soul destroying, but you're still going to make sure those 50 people enjoy themselves. So <laughs> you're going to do that, whatever happens. But that that doesn't happen, thank God, very often. But it does happen, and and and, and it's 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 a knock to the ego. Um, but then you know I've had people turn around to me and they've they've said, "Don't worry, trust me. This DJ, that DJ, also had the same as you. It's not just you." And these are big DJs, so. It does happen if it's badly promoted or, you know, there's dirty tricks from another club up the road. Management. Ripped all their posters down. I mean, I've had that. Um, yeah, management. It's all sorts of different things. But I've, I've been blessed to have so many great gigs. Some of my best gigs, I've got to be honest, have been the tiny, tiny, small gigs. One particular I used to love playing uh, as Full Intention with John was uh, Out in the Sticks. Uh, which is in sort of, it's between Manchester and um, Yorkshire, I suppose you'd say. And it's right. fantastic. And But people had to literally travel for miles. No one could just rock up outside. You had to make a pilgrimage to get there. But you had everybody ready to seriously party and want to hear really up front. You know, no no point playing a few old favourites. They wanted to hear the new stuff, which was a fantastic buzz. I I I love that. And then obviously Ibiza goes without saying. Um, playing in high in Ibiza for glitter boxes is a huge buzz, huge. Well, you've been lucky because I haven't been invited yet to play that. Oh, you're 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 getting you're getting invited. I'm sure. But, yeah. I don't get invited. Invitation's been closed. Time. Lenny's not allowed to play here. <laughs> You're, you're, we don't need his kind. We don't want his kind here. <laughs> do, do you know? I do you know? It's quite funny, but you get that. I find you get that with other uh, things. I've had things where I see DJs book and they don't book you, and it's, it's a weird feeling. Think, you oh, wonder well, why. You wonder like why, but you know, you know why. You, you just wonder why. You Sometimes you, it's just, it's just like a, then other DJs say, "Oh, how'd you get that book in?" And and it, it, it swings and roundabouts. <laughs> I had a funny moment, Marshall. I said to Marshall, can you tell us to a new aspiring record producer, DJ, what and what to do and what not to do? And you know, he yelled out, he said, don't remix, do your own stuff. 
<laughs> don't waste all your great ideas on remixes. He's so, got a good point there. Yeah. So yeah. that was Marshall because Marshall's, you know, we all know the Godfather. Oh, Marshall. music. Marshall's yeah, I, a funny mother. We love him. He's in Milwaukee and Penn City. Yeah. Oh God, he's one yeah. of the boys. One of the boys. Yeah. So you're talking to that a lot of people. I don't know how much our reach is right now. People who are just coming into this game. You know what's what's their in to get seen. What's, what would you say to something like your son? If your son said, dad, you know, I really want to be like you. I want to make this happen. What would you say to your son, you know, or, the, or this new aspiring producer? I think definitely make records and try and make those records for, you know, the, the cooler record labels. Try and get those records on, you know, yeah, labels that are well-respected, seen as cooler. Um, and maybe have a connection with their own club nights because you need the two together. You can be a brilliant DJ on your own, of course, and made no records, but I do think it helps still having a, you know, a couple of good, whether they're underground records or whether they're full-blown vocal records, you need that. You need the two to go hand in hand, certainly to start with, um, and persistence. You've got to be so persistent with uh, and not giving up even when you feel like throwing the whole towel in. Um, just keep at it. Yeah, and we've all been down that road. Oh, we've yeah. We've all been down that road where we feel like this shit ain't working. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's take ourselves right off the top, top tier and drop down two tiers and go, mm. what are we missing here? Something changed? Did somebody forget to mention? <laughs> yeah, the, the funny thing, someone said to me years ago, when you're hot, you're hot. When you're not, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> That's I've had a few There's no lukewarm in this game. It's like, I ain't lukewarm. What do you mean lukewarm? Well, yeah. you're kind of close. Close means you're just not quite there, young man. Step yeah. Down. Step yeah. Down. But because we love it so much, you don't give up. And you, you know, and, you, and and I learn something new every single day in the studio, or just generally, um, you know. And and the whole social media. I think I was very late to come into that. Thinking, oh, do I really want to tweet about how great my new kick drum is? Do I really want to stop? and say oh fantastic. Yeah, so yeah tell that to people what was that well, like coming free social media but thank you for bringing that up i hated it when it started did you have to what was it like for you to assimilate to this new technology called a smart ass phone that needs to know every move you make i went to the bathroom it was great i went to go get a cup of coffee this is fabulous what was that like for you to have to? Yeah, well, some it? people are good at it, aren't they? They, 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 they. Some people are real. They love the gossip. They love saying something controversial. I don't. I, I, you know, and I, 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 I'm not. I kind of, but I'm starting to get into it now, and I'm starting to enjoy it. If there's something that I think, yeah, this will connect. I, I do find that if, if I put, um, you know, like I, I just film a bit of me working in the studio, that does a lot for me to know whether that record is going to connect with people because I see from the reactions, if I get a lot of reactions, uh, then I know, Oh, I've got something here. I'm going to crack on with this and get this finished, you know? Um, and that does really work. And that's on Instagram and Facebook. So, you know, um, I regret being a bit late into that to be quite honest. So I'm catching up quite quickly now, luckily. Uh, but you know, this is someone who was very much into my space and, you know, I'm thinking, well, I've got my half a million followers on MySpace. What do I, what more do I need? You know, and then you realize, actually, that's dying out. Um, and then, what do you say? One of the reasons I didn't, yeah, I know. And one of the reasons I didn't, I was late on Facebook as well, because I actually, 
sometimes it can cause a problem socially uh, within your family or with the person you're going out with when you play a club um, and you know you'll get chatting to people some will have their photo taken before you know it they've put it on your 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 feed or whatever they do on facebook and your partner's saying to you uh, who's this girl who said she was hanging out with you last night you know what's the and and it causes a lot of problem you think actually i wasn't at all and 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 that's why you have to be so careful it it, it can it, it can cause you know because it's 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 hard for that your your partner who's you know your girlfriends who's uh, your wife who's at home looking after the kids and they're they're wondering wonder what he's up to and then you get a picture like that come in just com <laughs> completely causes a problem not not causes a problem can cause a little bit of tension you know, you so now you're basically what you're saying is that you have to backpedal your way out of this what the hell happened here moment. <laughs> yeah, you're and like let, and explain something, a guilty of a crime that you didn't commit, exactly. only because you were standing there. Is that what you're trying to tell everyone? You have your if you have your picture taken, you know, that that sort of thing. And you, you have to be so careful because I, to me, the most important thing for me is playing the records, going to a club. The buzz for me is going to a club, playing the records. I want to play and coming home thinking I played that record. I played that one and that real buzz. I tested that one. I did that. That's the buzz for me. It's not about going out and seeing how many girls I could pull or something. It was certainly not my age now anyway, but I'm just saying it never was. That wasn't, that wasn't the thing that for, for maybe some DJs, it's like, that's part of the part but of the thing who I'm going to take home. But it's let not. me ask you. Let me ask you an in-detail question to this, because this is always asked of me. Now I'm going to tell you what happens with me in my booth. Many times I'm been like the Forrest Gump. I was at the garage. I remember seeing certain people come in the booth, or I was at this club hanging out. The drugs that are all around us. Oh yeah. The alcohol that's around us. When you are a celebrity in our world of music, the first thing they'll ask you is, do you need something to, be, to make you feel better? To make you more loose in the, yeah. in the quotations, comfortable about getting ready to perform. Was that ever necessary for you to do for your work environment? Not in the studio, I'm talking about in the nightclub. Yeah, no, no, I, 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 I kind of have this thing, I'll have, I'll have one or two vodkas, before I play normally, that's it. And I, I find that I can't, or th that, God, that sounds really boring, doesn't it? But I'm, that's the way it is. I, I find that I, if I, I have to go onto the, you know, playing tunes, uh, knowing exactly where I am, where everybody is on that dance floor, I don't want to look out in a haze. After about four or five records, and I feel I've got everybody together, then <laughs> the, the bottle of vodka I might dip into a little bit. Um, sometimes a bit too much uh, <laughs> when you're too long. It's okay. We all get loose. We're having a good time. Our friends are with us. Yeah, it's all I part of course. But I remember once uh, playing in Ibiza, and it's one of my first times, I think. And, uh, I didn't realize that all their measures are double instantly. So I thought, well, I have three vodkas before I go on, which is really six vodkas. And, um, and, and I remember going on and thinking, oh, the turntables all look, because this turntable, that's even hard. You have to really keep your wits about you, about queuing up and, and thinking, this is, this is not good. I don't this know. This is not good, right? Things I'm, are starting really to feel a little funky. <laughs> yeah. I, 
how am I going to get through the first half hour, an hour? I need to sober up really fast. <laughs> uh, but little things like that. Ever since then, I thought, no, it's not. And it doesn't look good to see a DJ actually smash before he goes. It's good, really. It's, it's not a great advert. Well, I've actually experienced seeing Larry LeVan collapse many times. And a lot of people have, you know, because they were just so really? high. I yeah. just said to myself, I can't do this. First of all, back in the day, in the 80s, the turntables in the Richard Long consoles were on rubber bands. So if you're drunk, now you got a thing moving like this, your turntable's moving like this, and everything's moving. How do you, well, you know, how do you work under those conditions? Or Ministry of Sound, the box. Um, yeah. A lot Ministry of sound. DJs will remember that um, they were all sprung loaded. All those turntables were sprung loaded. And you had to be seriously sober to play your first couple of records, particularly your acetates because they were so brittle for people who don't oh. know what acetate is. Very brittle piece of vinyl that cost you about 70 pounds just to master your one track to test out. Uh, that was the way we did it. We didn't have CDs so back then. And it was really nerve wracking thinking if I don't cue this up on the last 16 bars of that record going, we're just gonna have silence, you know? So you had to really be sober to, you know, until you got into the whole swing of things, let's put it that. Like Did that, that ever happen? A record ran out because you were talking to people in the booth? Because it's happened to me oh, once in a while. It happens in my dreams. It happens in my dreams. <laughs> and I don't know if you've had that. I remember the first time that we were asked to play Ministry of Sound, the night before I had a nightmare that I couldn't choose the next record. I was just, and you could see it come to the end and I couldn't think, what shall I have next? And you're going into your record box and you just can't find it. And then, and then it just went to end, and everybody was cheering. This is a dream, <laughs> you know. Oh, it was awful, and you're like, and you just, you cannot physically think of what record to to play. Oh, and, I don't know what to do. Yeah, and that that dream comes around about every five years, I would say. But thank God it hasn't. But I have been in the ministry when that has happened to a certain DJ who played uh, "Jazz It Up." Do you remember that record? I want to jazz yeah. it up. On Barbara Tucker. Yeah. Oh, Barbara Tucker. Yeah, of course, Barbara. I remember when it first got played. I'm not going to say the DJ who played it, but I seriously respect it. But it was funny. English or American? English or American? I'm afraid he was American. Sorry. That's okay. I was on the dance floor. I was loving it. I thought, well, this record is amazing. And then, and then suddenly you just heard it a whole lot fade out. Just completely fade out. <laughs> and then you heard him pick it up and put it on the, at the beginning oh. again. But it was only about that record was only about four four half minutes long, I think. Mm -hmm. So in fairness, but I thought, well, you know, it, it didn't matter. It was like a rewind, really, and everybody cheered and uh, danced I've to it. I've done that many times myself. Pick the needle up and go, boom. Yeah. <laughs> what happens is because what happens is I've always said the the nightclub booth, especially Ministry's booth, was pretty big. So everybody's coming up in the booth. They want to hang out with you. You're trying to play bartender, DJ, because you know what you're doing. You're going like this. You're talking to people. You're like, hang on one second. I'm going to do the next. And they're all going like this. They all want to get to you at this point. Meanwhile, you saw me on the side. You didn't want to talk to me. But now, all of a sudden, because now I'm DJing, you need to annoy me right now. Right? I've, I've done that. I've gone this. I said to somebody, you know what? You need to stop. You see there's 2,000 people in front of me. You now want to speak to, you could have spoke to me for an hour, but you have to now go like this. How do you deal with that, Mike? Tell it's them. It's amazing when there's a bottle of vodka 
on, on, on your riders sitting there that how many friends you will suddenly get like just like that it's incredible um but yeah i, I it, it's it, it I, i'm kind of pretty pretty good with it i'm, I'm normally okay with people backwards and forwards i don't mind too much it's only when people are getting really drunk and you can see the arms swaying to <laughs> yeah, they go on. You know, <laughs> and you're just having to move their arm very slightly um or the punter who's off his face and literally shouting in your ear um say saying how much he loves your last remix or something now's not the time and it's so hot he's shouting so much that you're getting real earache and you're going like that and you think someone just please take him away because you don't want to offend him because he might get all uh you know you need booth police that's when you need a copper in the booth to play the to, to yeah. play the guy that says step back Step back. Yeah. You know, people don't understand that. We're in action in the middle of working a set. Crowd's going crazy. You're trying to stay on point, and you got an idiot screaming at you, going, I love you. I love you. It's like, yo, dude, get him out of the booth, please. Yeah. It's like, and you don't want to be Your ears are just going completely deaf from it. And, and I, I don't know. How about Maybe this I'm one? Polite. Have you ever I'll had be... someone come up to you and say, now, this has happened to, I guess, to almost a lot of DJs? Places packed. People going crazy. You got the hottest record in the game, and someone says to you, "Do you got anything different?" Or something <laughs> like that. Yeah, that uh, happened. Yeah, I've had it when someone's come up and say, um, "Can you play some R and B?" Yeah, do you, can you R and B hip hop? What planet are you on? You can see it's clearly a house. <laughs> you're like, you like. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, but how do you handle that? What do you do? It's, you tell them to leave the, the booth? Quickest way to, it's the quickest way they can piss you off in seconds. You're on an absolute high and then someone asks for R&B. And, and, and they think they're cool. They think they're actually being really cool. You think, well, you're funny, but this is not a commercial club. It's not where we play a bit of everything. <laughs> it's a straight up house club. Or, um, or uh, some pop track, you know, um, I don't know. Can you play something good? Yeah, I have. Can I, you I, play I, something good? Yeah, luckily, I've met that for some time. Normally, most people, but it's the ones who think they're really cool or cheeky, selecting something like that. And you think, no, you've actually, you're the opposite of that. <laughs> you Bingo. I do what's going on. Bingo. Yeah. yeah. Yo, so, you know, I mean, I, I, we've, we've covered so many different things. Um, one last few things I'm going to ask you, because I know, you know, you're a busy man. You got a family. I don't want to hold you up any longer. And you've been so polite to deal with all my crazy questions. <laughs> Where do you see yourself the next five to seven, 10 years forward? What's Michael Gray visualizing? What's going to be the future for him? Um, I would say just doing, I, I, I'm so happy what I'm doing at the moment that I would like to hopefully keep the consistency up, if not, take it higher uh, but I really want to and I've already started writing co-writing a lot more original disco songs um, or songs house songs whatever you want to call them um, that is a real buzz real buzz for me and that's that's very much where my heart is I love remixing records and stuff but you know uh, that's what I'd like to do um, I think I don't expect to have any more hit records um, because especially in the UK, you know, you're not going to get on the playlist if you're over 30, it's not going to happen. 
on a you know on a on a on a, ma- a major lab- uh, major station playlist so there's no point kidding myself but in terms of um in terms of just generally um just music just making good dance music because that that is the backbone always has been for me it's never let me down always been there when things are bad dance music and making it and playing it has always always made, been the savior to be quite honest awesome well children you've heard it from one of our masters michael gray he has broke it down every which way we have given him question after question and he has been battered <laughs> and broke us down. He get right I'm back to us with all the great answers, and even gave us some education on, you know, what makes him tick, why he does what he does. Um, I can't thank him enough, and you know, he is an inspiration to a whole new generation of producers and DJs. His story is um, incredible. The music. The music alone, without him even talking, if he was just to speak through all the records that he's touched over his time as a producer is enough to say it all. But to also be part of, you know, the DJ, the father, um, remixer, songwriter. I mean, he's got a testament that is well-preserved. It's golden. (laughs) Go nowhere except stay there. And has now shown he wanted to make something that would be transcending and played every weekend. Well, for God's sake, he has. He gave us Michael Gray the weekend so we can hear it over and over. And every time I play it, I'll tell you the truth, I still get that buzz. I love that record. There's a couple records. Shapeshifter's record, um, Lola's theme, that one. There's a few records that no matter, I want, like Frankie used to tell me, when you want that, that lift, Frankie Knuckles, you yeah, play yeah. certain records. There's certain records where it, you, I don't care how many great records you're playing. You just want that lift. Boom. Yeah. Michael Gray's Weekend. This oh, record, I, that record. <laughs> and, you know, and not every record we do is great, but yeah. there is ones that we do all have that are close to dear to our heart. And I want to thank him again, Mr. Michael Gray. Thank you so much. It's good to see you. We love you. You are the UK heritage to house music. You are definitely (laughs) a heritage to it. You are definitely golden and you keep doing what you're doing. You're aspiring us. Hey, I'll tell you what, you've even given me great advice over the years when I felt like I didn't want to do it anymore. And you remember I told you I didn't want to do it either. Yeah. I said the same thing. I said, I'm tired of this crap. I'm really tired of it. Yeah. You know, because we feel sometimes we feel like we're batting like we're like salmon upstream, upstreaming it. You know, how much can you take after we go? Oh, this is just too much to yeah. do music. Yeah, you know? yeah, absolutely. Uh, every, you're always going to get highs and lows in this thing, but uh... but we're gonna say we're gonna say a wonderful good night. And also, I'm gonna ask you one last question. Do you think this vaccination is going to work for all of us for this pandemic? Yeah. It better, it better. Good. We need to go back to normality quick. Oh yeah, that's that's the only cure. Is the vaccination? It'll happen. It'll happen. All right. Well, yeah. thank you again, Mr. Michael Gray. Full intention, hustlers convention. Good intention. Full intention. Great intentions. <laughs> yeah, All the power good. to you. <laughs> Get another welcome. Grammy. And you know what? I'm gonna just correct you on one thing. Yeah. You may produce a record with a young artist 
and all of a sudden you may get A-list Radio 1. It can happen. Doesn't necessarily mean that Michael Gray has to be the front artist. Oh, yeah. I'm could up still on be, well, you could still make that record that all of a sudden goes, holy smoke, look what I got. Another big golden record. Here it is again. You never know, do you? You never know. It's, it's, it's the thing is, is the best thing is to not try too hard. And then right. Not, Don't go uh, in there thinking about it. Yeah. Don't go in there thinking. Yeah. I, Marshall said the same thing. If we thought we were going to sit down every time and write hit records, we wouldn't have did nothing. We, would yeah. we just did records we felt we just wanted you to dance to. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Oh, well, everyone. Speak to you, Lenny. <laughs> Thank you again. Next Wednesday, Natasha Kitty Cat. A little meow for us. A little kitty kitty. Little glitter box kitty cat. We're gonna, now we're bringing some of the women from the UK to step up and talk. So tune in again to the True House and, Stories. And, huh? uh, and thank you for everybody for, uh, for watching and joining us. Oh, my God. I can imagine. I mean, you have so many people sending such love saying found a cure full intention remix tell michael to re to remix lenny's east side movement i've read, I read, I read all kinds of stuff going on they said please <laughs> tell, lenny, tell michael to remix that uh yeah let lenny remix uh let mike remix uh in east side movement in inner city uh one last thing there is plenty of over 30 djs that get loads of great dance music on top radio channels i mean people write all kinds of nice stuff to you selling you they're re they're just reaffirming the things that you believe in, others believe in as well. You're That's not the only point. one. That's just wonderful to see. Kid Cream told us two legends at work right there telling it. Uh, we got some old school guys, young Philip West saying, bring out the vodka, baby. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Much love to Philip West. He, he's a uh, he's, uh, big purveyor of our music. Big he, he's, he's very good for me, Philip West. I've got to say, he, oh. get, he, he sold out my sylvester remix i know i know i remember good <laughs> man that young man philip west good man i mean yeah. ben Lieben thanked you numerous times uh we had all of people all over the world victoria morgan nev johnson a lot of the promoters from the nightclub scene checking in with us i couldn't stop you when you came up telling us your biblical story I, I, Nick Hawks, Evening Chaps. Oh, Nick, yeah. Oh, Lord, I love, you know, love Nick. Love Nick. Fireside chat with Lenny and Mikey next to this. <laughs> Look at him. He's got his blue that. fire. Look, he's got fire, Fireside yeah. chat. I'm <laughs> <laughs> in Morgan, everybody, including um, the shapeshifter came in to say hello. Everybody was in tonight. Uh -huh. Hello, this is son. an incredible <laughs> evening, and it's absolutely, I can't thank you, Christ Almighty, I can't thank you enough for sharing your inner feelings. My God, some of the things you said, I, I totally understand. And trust me, it's a struggle for all of us to get through this, yeah. especially now with a pandemic going on. We all feel isolated. Yeah. I'm reaching out to everybody. I'm so glad Kerry called me, Kerry Chandler called me just to ask, how you doing, bro? Is are you okay? Yeah. I was like, yeah. I'm. Hey, man, it's great to hear from you. I'm like, yeah. you feel that's like good. You're that's nice. Nice. I Everybody's mean, reaching out. We are so lucky as well at the moment. Um, if this was 20 years ago, we would not be able to even see each other like this. You know, this is thank God for social media. So yeah. <laughs> after us having that conversation, because it would be a very different story. It'd be no virtual gigs or, uh, you know, virtual festivals. Or... I'll tell you what, I, I'll give you one word I would have did. 
I would have drew you a picture with my crayon and faxed it over of my um, face and say, hi, hi, Mike, how you doing? <laughs> that's a blast from the past, isn't it? Faxed you the contract. He'll, we'll send you over the heads agreement. What's your fax number? <laughs> I don't miss that. No, God, no. But I tell you what I do miss. I do miss the listening parties at the record labels that we used to all go to. Those were a lot of fun. And I also miss the record shop that was not just buying the records, but just hanging yeah. out. It's just yeah. awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I'd like to, when, when all this pandemic is, we've got the cure, I'd definitely like to come back over to New York and I'll come over and see you. And uh, I've got to go on a, this time, of maybe work this time as well. Well, so. the studio needs you here to, 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 to bless the SSL, as we always love to have you. You know that. Touch, nice that's studio. Everything. All right, I so every week, every week, every Wednesday, we're trying to do something different. And this week was Michael Gray. Thank you again.